Shabbat Shalom, guys. It's good to be with you this morning on this wonderful Shabbat. Whoever came up with that title, something messed up with them. <laughs> the red heifer in your pocket. And just so happens that Miss Peggy gave me a red heifer to put in my pocket this morning. So we'll, we'll uh, have him. He'll be our little mascot here. Or her. She. There we go. <clears throat> so... Um, What's up with this title, right? I'll get to it here in a little bit, okay? Um, sometimes the Torah, I want to have this little, in, this little intro here. Sometimes the Torah is just plain weird and makes no sense at all. And this week's Torah portion is a case in point. So it begins with the procedure for creating the holy water, if you will, from the ashes of the red heifer and the purification rituals for the serious types of ritual impurities. First, let's take a look at what it means, uh, what it took to be cleansed from certain types of these ritual impurities, such as tzara'at, which is biblical leprosy, and corpse contamination. So I'm going to be reading, and I should have grabbed, let me grab this real quick here. We're going to be reading from this week's Torah portion in Numbers chapter 19. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. And so I'm going to start actually uh, a little bit into it, um, not too far in uh, verse 11. It says, Whoever touches the corpse of any human being shall be contaminated for seven days. He shall purify himself with it, talking about the ashes of the red heifer and this water mixture, on the third day and on the seventh day, then he will become pure. But if he will not purify himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not become pure. And whoever touches the dead body of a human being who will have died and will not have purified himself, it shall, uh, if he shall have contaminated the tabernacle of the Lord, that person shall be cut off from Israel." Because the water of sprinkling has not been thrown upon him, he shall remain contaminated. His contamination is still upon him. Okay? So, what's going on here? In the days of the tabernacle or the temple, ritual impurity, uh, we, we, I, I like to use this term instead of being clean and unclean because it gets confusing when you use those terms and people don't know the context or what you're talking about. And it makes more sense. This is really what it's dealing with. It's talking about ritual impurity. And so um, ritual impurity in the days that the temple or the tabernacle was standing was a big deal, okay? Just as we read, if you contracted corpse contamination and you entered the tabernacle or the temple, that was some serious business. You would be cut off from Israel, okay? Now, what I, what I do want you to realize, though, is simply being um, richly impure is not connected in any way to sin, okay? It happened all the time. And we'll find out here in a minute that it was actually required in some cases. Okay? Um, and so, ritual contamination was not uh, a sin in any way. It was just inconvenient, and many people went out of their way to avoid it at all costs. Okay? And so, here's an example of, for instance, in Luke chapter 10, I, I won't read this, you guys know the story. Luke chapter 10, we hear Yeshua talking and t teaching and telling the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? So what happens? 
a Jewish man. He is accosted somewhere between, it says, Jericho and Jerusalem. And uh, robbers, um, you know, beat him up, steal all of his money, take his clothes even, and leave him for dead on the side of the road. <clears throat> okay? And then Yeshua, he, he tells it like this. You know, it's almost like a setup for a joke. He said, there's a, there's a priest that comes by. And then there's a Levite that comes by. And then the people would expect to hear, and then there was a... There was yeah, a Jew, an Israelite, a common man, a, a Ben Israel, okay? Uh, and that's, that's a normal progression of things, right? That's what you read about in the Torah. That's what they expect and everything. But then it comes and there's a Samaritan, one of the lowliest people that they can imagine, right? Some of the people that they couldn't, couldn't stand because of interactions and problems and so forth. But what happens is this, uh, the priest passes him by. Why? The Levite does the same thing. Why? Well, if you think about it, they're both involved in the temple service, right? And so what happens if they're helping this man and he dies? Okay? They become contaminated, and they're out for at least seven days. So, not saying this is right. This is, of course, this is a parable. This is, uh, we don't know if this happened or not. Yeshua didn't tell us if this was something from real life, but he used it as a parable to show that this was a problem. And, but then the Samaritan comes along and he makes things right. So in this instance, ritual contamination was a thing. And we actually have recorded in rabbinic writings that um, during the days of, of around the first century, it says purity broke out in Israel. And you think, well, that's a good thing. Well, actually it was a problem because purity... And ritual purity became more important than human beings and their lives. As a matter of fact, there's a story told where um, one, uh, there, there was a competition in the priesthood for who could do certain things, and one was jealous of the other, and he stabbed him with a knife, okay, because he, he wanted to do such and such. And uh, they were con- more concerned about getting the knife out of him before he died so it wouldn't be contaminated than the man actually living. Okay? It's very sad commentary. And, and the rabbis point, point out how awful this was and what a problem it became. And so Yeshua, I believe, is addressing a lot of the same thing. And so ritual impurity, although it was a, it was a big thing, um, we know there are bigger things that we need to uh, be dealing with. And so in this parable that Yeshua told, the Kohen and the Levite didn't want to take the chance of becoming Tame, that's the uh, Hebrew term for being impure, if the man should happen to die, as I said earlier. They refused to help the man because of inconvenience. Inconvenience. Okay? And unfortunately, we live in a society that's obsessed with convenience. Right? We have convenience stores on every corner because we don't want to drive an extra mile for what we want right now. We've been given the Word of God to show us a different picture of life than the world around us and to help us reflect the character of God that we serve. And we serve a God who is unconcerned about our convenience, but highly concerned about our compassion. Okay? Sorry, I'm, I uh, <clears throat> got some bad news earlier. 
that I'm struggling with. This Torah portion addresses this issue of compassion versus convenience. It introduces us to the concept of a chok. Okay, has anybody heard that term, a chok? A chok is how this Torah portion begins. Okay, a chok is an ordinance or a statute. Not to be confused with a statute. Don't confuse it that way. Okay, so what is it? The chukim are the commandments that don't make any logical sense. It's like I don't get that. It's like you're not alone. Okay, so that's, these are called chukim. And so out of the 613 commandments, some make sense while others don't. For instance, thou shalt not murder. That, that would get it. You know, don't commit adultery. Get that. You know, don't steal. Get it. You know. But, you know, this right here, take a red heifer, slaughter it, <clears throat> sprinkle, uh, burn it, sprinkle its ashes with water, and, and then sprinkle it on people. It's like, I don't get that. <laughs> I don't get that, right? And then not only that, it's going to change them from being ritually impure to ritually pure, okay? Um, the sages tell us that there are two broad categories of all the commandments that they fall into. They are, they are mishpatim, which literally means judgments, are the things that I talked about at first, and then chukim, which are ordinances, or you'll hear statutes and maybe a few other terms. And this, this sort of categorization is based on Leviticus 18.4, which says, and I'm going to read the Hebrew and then I'll translate in English here, et mishpatah ta'asu. Et mishpatai ta'asu. And it literally means, um, my commandments shall you do. Ve'et chukatai tishmaru. And these, and, and the, it uses the word, the chok chukotai, my ordinances or my statutes, you shall keep or guard, something like that. Lalechem bahem, you shall walk in them or do them. Uh, ani, here's the, <clears throat> the key phrase, Ani Adonai Elohechem, I am the Lord your God. Okay? And so these are the sort of separations. The sages say that the first part, my judgments, is a reference to matters that even had they not been written, it would have been logical. They just make sense, right? Just like we talked about earlier. There are prohibitions against like idol worship, prohibitions against sexual, certain sexual relationships, bloodshed, theft, and cursing God, and so forth. However, the phrase, and you shall keep my ordinances, is a reference to matters that, and this is, this is a quote from the Talmud, that Satan and the nations of the world challenge because the reason for these mitzvot, or these commandments, are not known. Okay? Basically, you guys are idiots. Some examples are the prohibition against eating unclean food, wearing garments that are made from diverse kinds of material, in other words, wool and linen, purification of the leper, and the scapegoat. Unless you say these have no reason and are meaningless acts, therefore the verse states, Ani Adonai Elohechem, I am the Lord. To indicate, I'm the Lord, I have decreed these ordinances, and you have no right to doubt them. Okay, This comes from Tractate Yoma 67b, if you want to check that out. So, you know, these, these laws are, a lot of times people think, these are, um, what's the word I, I use? The, these, these are illogical. But it's not that they're illogical, 
it's that they're supra-logical. You know the difference? Illogical means it doesn't make sense. Super-logical means it's beyond our understanding. Okay? And we just don't have the intellect. We are not divine, the divine creator, and we don't know his, his meaning behind these. Okay? This leads us to an even stranger situation of divine reversals in the Torah. Okay? This is the, how actually our Torah portion starts out, starts out. The clean becomes unclean, and the unclean becomes clean. So let me explain. So when the ashes of the red heifer are taken, they, of course they, they burn the cow and everything, and they put the ashes in the water, and then the water is taken and it's sprinkled on the person who is unclean. So if you've had serious uh, ritual impurities, such as corpse, corpse contamination, tzara'at, which is biblical leprosy, you would need this applied to you on the third and on the seventh days in order to become clean and enter back into normal function of society, enter the temple, tabernacle, so forth, right? But the problem is, the person who prepares the animal is a holy thing. What happens to him? He becomes unclean. He becomes ritually impure. The person who sprinkles the water on the unclean or ritually impure person becomes unclean or ritually impure himself. But the person who receives the sprinkling, he becomes ritually pure. And so the roles completely reverse and they change. Now, if it wasn't weird and confusing the first part, it definitely got there right, real quick, right? Okay? Um, it's like, what is up with that? At some point, we've all played tag as a kid, right? We all remember chasing someone down and touching them, saying, tag, you're it. Then we run to take off, and just as we're running to take off, we feel something on our shoulder and it says, now you're it. Right? And then you scream, no tag backs. <laughs> but it's too late. They're already gone. Right? And you're stuck being it again. Um, and so this is seemingly what's happening here. It's, it's one of those weird instances that it's, uh, it's not exactly what you want, but the Lord has something in mind that's deeper than what we can comprehend. I'm going to try to not comprehend the mind of the Lord, but I'm going to try to help us maybe relate to this a little bit better. Um, several years ago, I wrote an article called Touching the Leper. And the, you know, guys know the story about Yeshua and when the leper comes to him and asks him for healing. And actually, I tricked you. He didn't ask for healing. He said, can you make me clean? Okay, it's interesting terminology, right? So he, he is a Mitzorah, the person who has Tzara'at, and he asks not for healing, but he asks to be clean. And if you want to learn more about this, it's not necessarily a skin disease, but it's a spiritual malady. And so the leper came to Yeshua and implored him, if you want to read about this, this is in Mark chapter 1, and he said to Yeshua, if you will, you can make me clean. You can make me clean. And then this is what I want to draw your attention to right here. It says, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and he touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. 
And Yeshua sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests for your clean, uh, and offer for your cleansing what Moshe commanded for a proof. Okay, this is in Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 44. The whole story is in chapter 1 there. Okay, and so these are, these are uh, the three things I want you to notice that I, that I drew your attention to earlier. Number one, Yeshua was moved with pity or compassion. Number two, he stretched out his hand. And number three, he touched the untouchable. There's a lot we could discuss here, but you get the point. Let's be imitators of Yeshua. Number one, we must be moved with compassion for the suffering of our brothers and sisters. Number two, we must get out of our comfort zones and extend ourselves to those in need. And number three, we must touch the lives of others, even if it inconveniences ourselves in the process. So like the priest who burns the red heifer, or one who sprinkles its ashes, Yeshua became Tameh. He became ritually unclean on our part in order order to take away people's infirmities. Now, you may say, well, he didn't become unclean. Yes, he did. Okay, um, And the reason he had to was to fulfill the prophecy in Isaiah. It talks about him taking upon himself our infirmities. And this is the whole principle of divine reversals that's in effect here. And we can learn a lesson from this. We should be willing to get our hands dirty, so to speak, for our brothers and sisters when they are in need. As I look around this room and I see the faces here, even the faces that are, that are not here today, um, I can see those who have sacrificed their time and their resources on my behalf. They've moved, they have loved me enough to lay down something valuable of theirs to enrich my life, to ease my suffering, and to let me know that I'm loved. Romans 9, Paul said that he wished he could be cut off from Yeshua if it would help his Jewish brethren to know him. So my question to you is, what are we willing to do and to go through on behalf of our brother and sister? Can we be inconvenienced? Can we be put out? Can we suffer a little so that their lives can be enriched? There's a Talmudic expression that says, before God inflicts the wound, He creates the cure. And this week's Torah portion is a prime example. What do we read first? We read about the ashes of the red heifer. What do we read next? We read about the, the disease, the issue, the, the, the becoming impure. So God established the cure before He dealt with the disease. And so there are millions, if not billions, of hurting people in the world. But you, you, every person in this room, if you're a disciple of Yeshua, you have the cure. Whether it's a listening ear, a genuine smile, a warm hug, or even something more difficult like taking time off work, traveling a long distance, or even digging into your wallet. I know that's the most painful. Metaphorically speaking, 
As a disciple of Yeshua, you carry around with you the ashes of the red heifer in your pocket. Like one who sprinkles the ashes of the red heifer on the one who is Tameh, you have the ability to change the status of someone's life. Are you willing to pay that price for someone else? I want to challenge you to count the cost and make the investment into someone else beginning today. We are our brother's keeper, and as disciples of Yeshua, we should be following his example. Just wanted to be short and sweet today, but I hope you guys receive something from that and are challenged to make a difference in someone's life today. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat shalom.